friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we have another patron-inspired setting. But before we get into that, remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on Twitter, if that's still a thing, you can go ahead and do so following us at Let's World Build. Of course, if you want to get where the real action is, you can go over to our Discord, click on the link in the episode description or on our website. Come hang out with us, chat with us about the downfall of Twitter or anything uh, world building related or not. I mean, we got general chat for that, right? Of course, if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always go to our Patreon and give us money. Just just donate money. And you get all sorts of sweet benefits with that, including early episodes, patron exclusive episodes, and double length on any setting prompt that you send in. And speaking of Patreon, we have a new patron, longtime listener, first time patron, one Mr. Kaiser. So welcome and thank you very much, Kaiser. It's good to have you on the team, even though you've been with us for a long time. Still good to have you as a patron. We deeply appreciate you and your patronage. And with all of the shilling out of the way, let's go ahead and roll right into the prompt submitted by one Mr. Gluax Speed. So, Gluax, for their setting, they said, The ocean is the only natural source of heat and light for this world. Have fun. Okay, hold on. There's... There seems to, Courtney, it seems that there's something missing here. Is is that all we got? Is that all he submitted? That is that is literally all there was to this problem. <laughs> you know, honestly, you know what? No problem. We don't need fucking tenants. We've got the setting prompt and we're smart and clever and handsome. Some of us anyway. And you know what? We're going to get through this. I'm excited. Gluax is really letting us off the leash on that one. So, Courtney, why don't you get us started? Tell us your first tenant with Gluax's Ocean World. All right, so uh, for my first tenet, water loses its glow over time and its heat when taken from the ocean. So for example, to have like lighting and heating in a settlement, water has to be renewed in some way, whether through manual labor or pipes or what have you. Um, hmm. In advanced areas, I'm, I'm picturing like networks of glass pipes that go in and around buildings that are filled with the glowing heated ocean water. Interesting. OK, so your your assumption and I think this is where we have our first discussion point. Mm. Your assumption here is that the water itself glows. That was my assumption. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I suppose you could read it differently. Yeah, yeah that was huh. not my assumption at uh, all. In okay. fact, yeah. Okay. In fact, it gives me a good uh, roll into my own first tenet, which is there are massive bioluminescent algae forests that litter the landscape and that that provides one layer of glow of all sorts of beautiful pinks purples greens and whatnot there's various subspecies but in addition to that there are also massive geothermal magma vents that glow blue and purple and light the landscape in a blue and purple haze mm, okay. now obviously those areas are remarkably dangerous or at least remarkably hot. So, you know, that's a thing, but I, I made no assumptions about the water itself being glowy. So that's, 
very interesting. But I think that we can absolutely square it by just suggesting that there are essentially like bioluminescent like currents or like mm. microorganisms that you can in fact pump into glass kind of um structures and, yeah. and and have like a more permanent glow but it does require you know uh refreshing and that's because you're dealing with like bioluminescence you're dealing with like actual mm -hmm. living beings yeah i could see like gardens basically that oh, that yeah. glow and light up these areas um and then for the heat again that could also be resolved through like underwater pipes or some sort of mechanism to mm -hmm. bring that heat up into where it needs to go and and that's actually kind of cool because in certain settlements, I can see that as like, okay, we're turning on the lights and you're just opening a giant magma vent that like yeah. suddenly <laughs> like, okay, it's daytime. Okay, turn on the daytime switch and then, you know, like the light glows and what I think that'd be kind of like interesting. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really love the um, visuals that come out of both of them. Like you've got this natural coloration, but then also I'm picturing like all these like translucent pipes transporting the light energy in ways. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like, very easy to visualize this whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I really wanted to go with something that's truly alien because like oceans are really weird and kind of scary sometimes. And I was like, let's go with something really fucked up and weird and like bioluminescence is where it's at, son. Like that's definitely the place to go. So, uh, Daniel, you're, you're talking a lot about aesthetics over there. What do you have for your first tenant? What do you want to ground us in here? Uh, my tenet is that the protagonists, whoever they might be, are either marooned or imprisoned underneath the ocean in a confined space. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. That is quite interesting indeed. Okay, so the, the people that we're dealing with here, right? Mm -hmm. They are a, we're going to assume that there's some kind of a settlement and they are stuck at the bottom of the ocean is there, or, or under the waves in some way. Is that correct? Yeah, I think um, based on what you guys, because it seems like Rob, you've created kind of a natural landscape, right? And Courtney has added this artificial use of it, mm -hmm. like inadvertently. Yeah. Um, what I think I'm adding here is that they are imprisoned or imprisoned or they're marooned or cannot get out of the space. Maybe the settlement is here and can't leave this place. Mm -hmm. It's for some reason. There's a lot of interesting implications with what you're suggesting there, Daniel. Mm -hmm. Because there is a suggestion of like imprisonment or like we once had the power to travel outside of this world and something has fundamentally changed where that is no longer the case. Mm -hmm. So big fan of the implications and I'm really excited to see how we kind of deal with those as we continue to rock on. Mm -hmm. One of the images that came to mind when I was thinking about it was like, um, you know, films or, you know, stories would take place in like the Antarctic or some remote place where the outpost is is you really can't venture outside of the outpost of risking your life mm -hmm. um, or any of the movies where you have an underwater station and you have to really be trapped. You're, you're confined to that space. Basically everything else is dangerous. So, so what we're looking for here from what I'm understanding is a sense of remoteness and yeah. danger from the environment. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, great, great, great. I, I think that's easy to implement. I think that we've, kind of gotten there and i'm thinking about those magma jets that i was mm -hmm. talking about earlier i'm like oh yeah that's probably going to be yeah that's going to be a lot more <laughs> dangerous than i initially thought it was going yeah, to be like initially yeah. it was mostly just set dressing that i had in mind but like now that it's like yeah that shit's dangerous i'm like yeah magma is probably going to be part of that i'm guessing that's my assumption anyway probably yeah <laughs> yeah a little probably. bit just a little bit all right courtney keep us uh keep us moving here moving and or grooving what is your second tenet 
Um, yeah, I'm curious how this is going to fit now that we're really focusing underwater, because uh, my second one was that giant lily pads serve as rafts and as foundations for buildings. Ooh, oh. that is that is remarkably tricky, actually, because, yeah. yeah, lily pads famously go on top of they, the water. They tend to float, well, you yes. can <laughs> You can put them inside. So if there's a bubble that people live in underwater, the lily pads could be in the bubble on top yeah. of water that's in the structures oh, in this bubble. Oh, they, I mean, you could use like lily pad roots as kind of like a, a, a means to structure buildings and stuff like that as mm-hmm. well. Oh, that's that's interesting, yeah. And there is also something that we can do where it's like, hey, maybe the lily pads have a natural resistance to heat or like they have a oh, way yeah. to regulate mm-hmm. heat in a way that protects people from magma. So we can have like a more... Um, What's it called? Not plant punk, but what's it? Something <laughs> like punk. that. What's it? You know what I'm talking about, Daniel. Help me out. Um, like a solar punk. There you go. There yeah, you go. Like okay. yeah, yes. Gotcha. Thank you. So, like, we have a more solar punk based kind of setting thus far, and I think that's kind of interesting. That's cool. They can be like genetically engineered, partially, you know, like from some oh, natural yeah. lilies to mm-hmm. deal with the environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. For the underground area now, I'm wondering, like. Is it artificially created or is it like a cavern structure that it's one of those things where you dive underwater, but you're able to get into these like air pockets inside of a cavern? What what underground parts are you talking about? Because currently I don't have anything in mind that is strictly underground. Or underwater rather. Oh, I mean, like I'm sure that there can be air pockets and stuff like that. Right. Like it doesn't have to be strictly purely oceanic i mean we can we can create an entire diverse ecosystem under the waves you know like with the bioluminescent forests and i'm sure that we can have underground mountains or underwater mountains rather i see what you did there courtney i just did it myself um so yeah that that all kind of i think we can certainly make a really fantastical landscape under the waves if there are even waves i mean it could technically be like a just Flat, still yeah. water but i feel like that's probably not going to be the case you know oh yeah i was mainly talking in regards to uh daniel's thing about like the people being sort of imprisoned mm. below but i guess they could also be like fish people so they don't need i was more. going to suggest like yeah you're 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 thinking that they need a yeah. oxygen to breathe and my second tenant will refute that because um, mm. <laughs> I want our so, so specifically I will read this out as I wrote it. I want the main species of humanoid to be of a cephalopod nature. Fundamentally, these creatures are invertebrates, have at least human level intelligence, and they come in an array of subspecies. We're talking camouflage ones, ink wielding types and all that and more. Uh, I'm, I didn't do enough cephalopod research before I came into this episode, but I figured that some people will tell me some cool cephalopod facts at some point. But there's that. And I also want to say they're at least as intelligent as humans. And that intelligence is what makes them apex predators. So are they mind flayers? No, 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 no. Just be okay. Just because D and D has one cephalopod monster <laughs> mm-hmm. that's intelligent doesn't mean that they have to be a hive mind that eats brains. Like I don't want that. So I just think saying the lily pad is not a brain, elder brain, like pile. Correct. <laughs> yes. I just think that squids and octopi are cool and deserve more love because they're not just fucking hive mind villains who eat brains they can be heroes they mm-hmm. can be cool that's what i'm interested in doing because squid folk deserve more 
So, you know, what's interesting is I think um, in the conversation you guys are having just before you introduced the cephalopods, I imagine the space is bigger than we envisioned. So I can see a confined space being very large. Mm-hmm. So even if like um, we're talking, it's a whole big city or a couple of mm-hmm. cities or whatever, like their confinement can be metaphorical. So I think that that can work. Mm-hmm. And then especially if you have a whole plethora of different kinds of like elithid friends down there. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we, we could also have it just be like where, where we are in history with these things is the age of exploration. So their confinement, it might just be natural. It might be like, Hey, where, what, what's the undersea version of landlocked, you know, or, or like separated from other areas. Like we could just be in a giant Valley and maybe part of it is like, we have to climb out of this deep chasm or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's so much that we can do because we're under the waves. I mean, like there's so much cool shit that we can do. Ooh, or, Because we were talking about, you know, your magma vents and Mm -hmm. um, now I'm picturing like, what if there are these like deep, deep rifts in the land around this area and like in those rifts are much, much worse, more dangerous creatures that will rise like tectonic plates, essentially, Mm -hmm. like these huge Mm -hmm. gaps between them. Oh, you're talking like Marianas Trench, like Pacific Rim type shit. Yeah, like something deep down dangerous. Something that doesn't let them pass. Something ape-like, something like, so, so if we, if the cephalopods in our story are the default, then the evil hive mind brain suckers are going to be humans. (laughs) (laughs) Like we could just fully flip the script and be like, oh, they're gorilla, you know, looking like ape monsters or something like that, you know? I like the idea that perhaps the nature of their confinement is that the environment outside of where they live is too dangerous or mm. maybe yeah. cut off because oh, I of the natural. Agree with that. So like the idea of a trench, like enormous trench, maybe that has like powerful currents and such. And they're like a little mm-hmm. community that's ebbed on or attached to the space, you know? Mm-hmm. So you know, going out of it immediately pulls you into the trench. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a question of like, how do you get past this trench when you're in the middle of it? You know, Th- there's, there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about because we're dealing with water as well, including water pressure. I was mm-hmm. going to say the pressure might be too much. Like maybe they're in a protective bubble sure. of some kind mm-hmm. and getting out of the bubble or it gets too close to where there's mm-hmm. tremendous pressure. You know, maybe they weren't supposed to be this far down as a sure. civilization. Oh, that's really interesting. Like they mm-hmm. built a city and like something shifted and it's like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the whole bubble, the whole area, it would destroy them if they go out there. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. That is, yeah. yeah. Like if there's some like much larger civilization up closer to the surface and this like pod basically broke mm-hmm. off and and drifted down. Sure. The humans. The humans. The, humans. the apes. Yeah, right. We can have like monster apes or something like that for sure. <laughs> the other thing that we want to consider besides just pressure here and like the vents are um, like hyper oxygenation or um, toxic shock as well. I remember watching, uh, I think it was Blue Planet or something like that. And one of the most horrifying things that I saw was like, I think I can't remember what kind of fish it was, but it was basically like this fish swam to this part that just had too much either oxygen or salt or something like that. And it just immediately fucking died. Like in, mm-hmm. like it gets paralyzed and then dies shortly after. And like, you basically have to have something pull you back into cleaner water or something like that. And it was, I remember just being like, Oh, that's awful. And I could, I could be completely misremembering this, <laughs> but that image of that fucking spasming fish was like, Oh, mm-hmm. horrible. You know? I like that. It's like there's different danger. I mean, the ocean presents so many exactly. horrific dangers. It's mm-hmm. like 
It's, uh, I don't know if it's one of those faulty statistics, but I remember reading once that like we know less about the ocean depths than we do about outer space. Yes, um, exactly. And I think it presents as as unique and strange dangers as outer space does. So mm-hmm. like I'm as I'm more terrified myself of the depths of the ocean than I am of outer space. So yeah. I, I totally am uh, bored, you know? I mean, I, I understand that fear, but then I think of 2001 A Space Odyssey and just tumbling into the endless black void <laughs> forever and be like, nah, that, I, I think I'd rather be... I'd rather be crushed to death by the ocean depth than be spinning into the endless void forever. You know, are you able to swim? Oh, I can swim quite well. Yeah, I can't swim. So the oh, ocean yeah. presents a unique yeah, yeah, yeah. horror to me. You that's know? that's yeah, fair. That that is like that to me. I And I can understand that because that's like a level of loss of control, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like that. And that's what scares me so much about the endless void of space is that you have nothing to hold on to. There's that's nothing that too. you can yeah. like flail mm-hmm. around. And like with the ocean, there is at least like if you know how to swim, then you can at least control it somewhat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that makes sense. I understand your fears, Daniel. I mean, in fairness, I I can swim, but I am also somewhat terrified of like deep ocean depths because. Hold on. Hold on. The misconce- if, if the misconception here is that I'm not afraid of no trench, that's no, no, a no, fucking no. lie. Because no, that shit's terrifying. But like, again, void. Just way scarier. Yeah. yeah. Personally. But, um, personally. Like, uh, I couldn't get very far into Subnautica because it was just like, you'd get to a certain depth and it's like, nope, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go back up to my like shallow water area up here by the surface. Not going to go anywhere and yet else. the outer wilds <laughs> is okay to you? Like, get out of here. So the outer wilds is also terrifying, just yeah. in a different way. Yeah. Ugh, whatever. <laughs> See, this is why Courtney is interested in um, Viscera, because mm. it's like... You know what you're getting with with blood sacrifice, right? Yeah, like, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. So we've got cephalopods. We've got un. Actually, we don't have to square it right now, but I do love the the just completely hazardous and and like Daniel said, all of the new hazards that come with being underwater. Super mm. cool. Super interesting. Yeah. And and speaking of Daniel, Daniel, I believe your second tenant is the last one. Is that correct? Uh, I think so. So the second tenant, which I think can work, but it's interesting, is so most of the population are machines or a mechanical and they're designed to mm. protect and support their dying or otherwise few in number of creators. So we've got cephalopods and machines. When I imagine this as humans, I imagined a small number of people in this space that mm. rely on a lot of machines to maybe to protect or to do the work surrounding them in mm-hmm. the in the space. So like mm-hmm. if I was picturing an Antarctic base, right, it would be like there's five people and they have like three androids and a really large crawler and this kind of machine. And they rely on that technology a lot. Okay. So so let's do a ratio here. What is the um, robot to cephalopod ratio here? Is it a five to one? Is it a 10 to one? What are we thinking about in terms of scale? I'm thinking if this space is really big, which is kind of what I'm seeing based on what you guys have described, like it's a big civilization hunk above civilization, maybe, mm-hmm. that in order to operate, it needs a lot more population than it has. So I'm thinking mm. it's something like 10 to one. Okay, mm. Sure. And and so as a result, would you would you then argue or at least consider that these cephalopods are in a way somewhat carefree because they have like 10 like worker bots to every individual cephalopod? So the cephalopods are probably in charge of doing something important or relatively Mm -hmm. important, right? Like they have some 
kind of higher purpose compared to the drones. Yeah, I mean, I bet that could be a reaction they have, like maybe this generation or however, I don't know how long they live or whatever, but perhaps mm. they feel more secure than they should feel. Mm. Mm. I'm going to uh, make a declaration and you can argue with me or not. I don't care. My head canon and hopefully the real canon for this particular setting now and forever is that those robots are crabs. They are crab bots. Because, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that too, honestly. Thank yeah, you. I don't care. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Good. Okay. We have crab bot servants and dear God, that's what I wanted. Uh-huh. And uh, yes. Okay. Thank you. I want them to, I want them to be also um, altruistically designed. Like they're, mm. they're meant to serve or support these right. fundamental. We're, we're, yeah. we're not talking Terminator. Right. Yes. I, I exactly. understand. <laughs> yes. Although they're I'm not, sure there could be aberrations. Uh, yeah, of of course there can be, but I like the uh-huh. idea that, like, on the whole, they yeah. are, yes, they are friendly. Uh, not not like the Wayland yutani type friendly. Yes. Like B2 Emo from the cast and Andor Star Wars series, which I must say again, is perhaps the greatest Star Wars series ever made. But continue. You have not said that on the pod. You've said that in Discord, but you've yes. not said that on the podcast yet. So, so I'm, I'm going to give you the floor. You have 30 seconds, Daniel. Go. The only it is greater than any modern Star Wars made, including Mandalorian. I can't say it's better than the original original trilogy because it can't exist without it. But that aside, I think it is the greatest Star Wars ever created. And I was why? pleasantly yeah. shocked by it. Why? It is it has writing that is not I didn't think was possible in a Star Wars story. <laughs> wow. Okay. And obviously we don't want to get into spoilers here, right? No, but of course not. Yeah. Well, I I will have a lot of time coming up during my my month off from grad school and I will attempt to watch that. How long is it, Daniel? It's actually 12 episodes, but they go Ooh. real fast. I'm sure are 45 minutes or 20. Yeah, I don't think they're very long. They're probably like 40 minutes, maybe at most. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. 40 minutes is long, Daniel. It's 40, yeah, mi- 40 minutes is like close to an it's normally like the, the hour slot for it's TV. like whatever the normal length is for Star Wars shows. I don't think they're very long. So like 45. OK, gotcha. uh-huh. great. OK, tenants are done and we have it. Uh, OK, I think this is really interesting because what those crab bots imply is that we have, and mind you, Daniel, do they have to be robots? Do they have to be technological in nature? Or can they be a like bio-organic type of robot that they just utilize as though they were robots? I'm going to say that they have to be mechanical because it's alien to the cephalopods. Mm-hmm. I almost mm-hmm. want to suggest that maybe they were created by the cephalopods, even though I said oh. in the tenant it was their creators. But perhaps the cephalopods rely on them because they don't really fully understand them. Okay. Oh, so, so like they they found like some kind of semi-autonomous thing already going mm-hmm. on and then they just kind of inherited it. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that or maybe like it came from the civilization before it fell if we're going mm-hmm. with that. I don't know. I want some well, kind of disconnect between the two of them. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. when you say fell that one of the ideas that we're kind of messing around with here mm-hmm. is that the city that we have or at least the the area that we have has literally fallen due That's to what I mean. shit, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So when this thing settles and then they discover this hyper advanced technology. They're like, okay, wow, this is helpful. But like maybe there can be some kind of fun, like anachronistic kind of, you know, they're not like 
cavemen or anything like that, but they're certainly not advanced enough to have robot crabs. You know, or, sorry, are you saying that the city that fell is the thing that had robot crabs, and the cephalopods were already down there, or the other way around? No, the way no, I'm suggesting okay, okay. that the cephalopod city fell down okay, and then yes. discovered robot crabs okay. at the bottom. That's what I was thinking too. I could also see it the other way, whereas the the city originally had these machines in it and fell, and perhaps their numbers were lessened, and now they rely on them. But it could, it could go either way. If you wanted the machines to have some older, mysterious origin related to the cephalopods, mm-hmm. or you can go the discovery path, which I think is also cool, where they land and they find these things in the ocean. So one point maybe towards them landing and finding these things is, um, I know we had talked about maybe having like ape-like creatures as the sort of danger around this area. But what if in the trenches there are massive crabs, which oh. are also now robotic? Oh, okay. <laughs> giant robot crabs in, yeah, the, in giant the robot crabs in the ocean. <laughs> okay. So, okay. One of the things that I like about the idea that these are crab... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, hold on. Can, can the ocean-dwelling crabs be like regular like Alaskan crabs or something like that? And then... The little drones that they have be hermit crabs. <laughs> so the ones that are in the trench. Yeah, That's cute. yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the trench workers are hermit crabs, but the big beastly ones are like regular crabs. Times like a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the reason that I like the idea that the technology is like new or unknown to these people or to the to the cephalopods is because one of my favorite tropes is we have technology that we truly don't understand like fully. And we know how to get it. We know how to access more of it, but doing so is incredibly dangerous. Um, In my fucking, what, 20-year-old now fantasy setting, I have a nation that has giant robots, basically, like giant mechs that they can use, but none of them have ever made the robots. They've only found them buried within the earth. And they know that they can use them, but there's like a tenuous grasp on the technology. And like, I find that to be really appealing because that dichotomy of like, we don't know what we're doing, but we know that it's good and important and we can't stop getting them now. But there's like an inherent danger in acquiring more. I love that concept. I love that so much because it's like, then you can have missions to acquire more like, oh, we found a a trove of these robot crabs, but now we have to have an expedition to get them all out safely, you know, from the danger that is the outside. You know, there, there's so many cool little plot hooks that you can uh, add in to stuff like that. Yeah. I also like just the visual contrast between these harsh robotic crabs, which I mean, animal crabs are these mm-hmm. very rigid things versus the cephalopods, which I'm picturing as these like kind of little squishy squid octopi people. So there's like the the soft versus hard contrast oh, yeah. there. Sure. Mm. The one thing that I want to say when they say that they're cephalopods, I'm also imagining that they're not just like squids that can like float around and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine them more as anthropomorphic. Like they have like um, muscles that have like twisted in like a, a kind of like a corkscrew fashion to give them more of a, a humanoid shape. And, and it's not like they have tentacles that are just corkscrewed. It's like, no, their musculature has now changed to be like they are humanoid and they their their evolution has suggest has switched them over to that something like that. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Are we suggesting that perhaps they were a different species in the past or different form of species? No, no, I'm just thinking about like how the how they look 
and like why they look the way that they do, like why they have the the musculature and like that structure and whatnot is kind of like important to understand. Cause I, I don't want just like regular ass looking squids. I want them to have a physiology that makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint. So more like elithids. Well, no, because illithids have bones, Daniel. <laughs> illithids have bones and that's not okay. I don't want bones. This is a no bone zone. So beefy mm-hmm. illithids without skeleton. Beefy illithids. No, there's no beef. It's, it, well, I guess that, well, would you call that beef? I wouldn't Muscle. necessarily call that Muscle's beef. Muscle's beef. Muscle, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, wait. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm not getting into that because I'm going to do a fucking Vince McMahon impression. And I don't want to do that in my life right now. So. Anyway, yeah. So, so remember, no bones this is no bone zone. All right, mm-hmm. we're we're talking no bones here, Daniel. So we're saying basically they found these machines. They don't fully understand them, but they're also in the trenches. These giant versions of these machines that are bad, right? They're different versions of the machines that they have. So, like, like I said, think of it like crab to hermit crab. There is a differentiation. They have different functions. So one one's giant and one's not. Right. Beyond that, they, they aesthetically look different. So there's kind of mm-hmm. like this, you can make an assumption that they're built with a different purposes. You know what I mean? But are they giant? The giant crabs are giant. The hermit crabs okay. are probably like, I'm thinking like cow size maybe, or okay. a little bit smaller. And that's the ones that live with the, the beefy elephants. Cephalopods, correct. Okay. Yeah. They're the friendly guys, yeah. The friendly yes. ones, got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, so before we get into the recap, because we do have a recap, this is our forum for questions about really, really kind of solidifying everything, really making sure that we answer any uh, dangling questions that we have. So before I ask my questions, do you, do I, any of you have questions about the setting as it stands? Um, you had brought up like the different subtypes of this race. Um, are the they, cephalopods, yes. Yeah. Are they like legitimately different subspecies with different properties or are they fairly intermixed? Um, that's, that's a good question. I, I was leaving it intentionally vague to mm-hmm. kind of like base, because I, I was thinking that each subspecies would essentially be its own nation if necessary, mm-hmm. but considering the smaller scale of our current setting, I don't think that makes sense anymore. So I, I'm more okay with it being intermixed and it could be something like what you're born with or like there's an inherent talent to it, you know, like, oh, you know, Johnny was born and he has really good camouflage or uh, Steven was born and he can control his ink like you've never seen. He's an artist, with it, you know, something like that. <laughs> mm, okay. You know, st- stuff like that. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I guess that leaves a lot of room for uh, factions too next time. Yes, mm-hmm. that is that mm-hmm. is partially what I had in mind as well. But also just the idea that we can create like what are essentially cephalopod mutants, right? <laughs> uh, and, and I mean that in the X-Men sense of mutants where like, oh, you know, like when he camouflages, it's it's like he's actually purely invisible. You know, it's it's different than his peers or well, they're, they're, I just wanted I wanted variation is what I mm-hmm. wanted. Yeah. Okay. So any other questions thus far? Nope. Okay, so I would really like to lock down some genre questions because we have a semi sci-fi setting as it is right now. How technologically advanced do we want our cephalopods to be? Because in my head, as we've been talking about this, I'm thinking they're essentially like Conan the Barbarian level of sword and sorcery Mm -hmm. in terms of technology. So it's like 
probably around like 1100 AD or uh, CE of, of modern human history, like that level of tech. But if we want to go more advanced than that, I'm totally okay. I'm just curious what y'all think about that. And like, do they have sorcery? Do they have magic? That That is a separate question. Okay. Let's let, okay. <laughs> that, that, <Okay>. yes. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking that the subspecies could also like act as a sort of magic in, in uh, some cases, okay. right? But there's like a evolutionary reasoning behind it. So it's not just magic. It's like, nah, this is just their physiology that allows them to do certain things. But I'm I'm not stuck on that. I'm willing to be flexible in terms of how that works. I'm interested, like you said, of not of not having magic so much as fantastical from fantasy magic, but more like it's like superhero-esque. So it's has a basis mm-hmm. in science, but it's like mm-hmm. physiological. So it feels like magic, but it's actually some extension of their natural state. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So you can basically just have them be like particularly talented in certain cephalopod things. Yeah. So I mean, I could see us making a faction where it's like it's technically fire wizards, but it's really all about I don't know how they can shape magma vents or something, uh, okay, yeah. or more about superheating the water around them in some yeah, way. Yeah, right? like those yeah. mantis mm-hmm. creatures. The yeah, mantis yeah. shrimp, or like know? the bullet shrimp. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many things that we can do now that we're underwater. In terms of the civilizations advancement the one thing i was thinking about unless we go like maybe like kind of a greek philosopher sort of thing i was i was wondering if there's going to be like that they're more intelligent that they're not to say that a conan society can't have intelligence but more like studious to some degree or some maybe some faction of them like more scholarly so you're looking for erudition yeah i got you yeah yeah this kind of reminds me honestly you know what this is kind of reminding me of is do you remember our renaissance inspired setting Mm mm-hmm I'm getting strong. So it's literally the Renaissance, but under the sea. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's where my brain is going right now. Yeah. I don't know if, if Courtney has any strong feelings about it, but I, I could see kind of an, a classical or older age kind of place, but maybe there's a class of them that are like very wise and intelligent and maybe understand the technology mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah. Sure. Is, the, is this the lost city of Atlantis that's been plunged <gasps> underwater? Yes. Uh, can't, wait, can we do Lemuria yes. instead? That's always so much more interesting. Yes. <laughs> it could be It could be the kind of unspoken thing where we don't really specifically say that. Oh, yeah, but. that's fun. Mm, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. But, but of course, the entire rest of the world is still underwater. So, like, that still has to be a thing. But I do, uh, you know, think about that. Let's let's take a step back, though, and think about this. Imagine that, like, a major city... Like, uh, let's just say that all of a sudden, all of Chicago was suddenly swallowed, like the ground opened up and all of a sudden, all of Chicagoland was fucking gone. Like Mm -hmm. how terrifying that would be, but they're still there. They just plummeted, you know, like four miles beneath the earth's crust or something like that. And obviously a lot of people are going to die in that accident. And I think that's a really interesting conceit. And that's basically what we're working with here. Yeah, I like that that imagery a lot. Oh, it's horrifying, isn't it? I mean, and we're also always implying if these are creatures that are sea creatures, that they've fallen from a higher depth of the ocean to a lower depth, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while the prompt says specifically the ocean is the only natural source of heat and light for this world, you know, world can mean narratively the context of the story, which would be the civilization, the space. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even think it matters what's going on in the rest of the world outside of the trench and their 
city and this sure. depth, right? Mm-hmm. If if you want to have that conceit and if you want to have that headcanon, that's fine. In my brain, this entire world is purely oceanic. There is not there. There are only peaks that 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 are above the waves. There's nothing in terms of civilization, mind you. You can disagree with that. In my head, that's how I'm thinking about it. I'm just saying that because it is a way for a reader could still imagine that this could be Atlantis. Yeah, oh, sure. so like, or even sure. just up above the rest of the cephalopod civilization, still kind of chilling in the shallow waters, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. trying to search for survivors, but not having any luck yet. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, oh yeah, that's interesting for sure. That that's very interesting. But I mean, that conceit could still technically exist, right? Like, mm-hmm. even if they were land dwellers in some way, which actually would then justify their kind of weird physiology compared to the uh, regular cephalopods, right? But anyway, yeah, that's that's cool. I like I like where this is going. This is neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Daniel wants some smarties. Daniel wants some book readers, <laughs> uh, which I'm okay with, right? Like I'm not arguing against that at all. But I think Daniel, I think you had it in the right though, where we can kind of have this kind of Athenian society, or at least an Athenian subsection of cephalopods that are like uh, astrologers and they're philosophers and they're all about book learning, but that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the majority of them. I imagine that there's probably like a cast of smart folk who perhaps are trying to spend most of their time uncovering the, uh, the secrets of the crab, so to speak, you know? Um, which by the way, if that's not the episode title secrets of the crab, I'm going to be mad about it. So no, that, that is a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think we've got a really, really solid foundation here. And I think that it's time that we go through and do a quick little recap of the tenets that we've established. Courtney, you kicked us off. What was your first tenet? Uh, mine was, a well, sort of worked in a weird way with yours, but initially mine was that water loses its, its glow and heat over time as it's taken away from the ocean. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, we, we had to meld those together, yeah. but I still think it works. And I still love the imagery that we got out of that. Right, sure. with like the pipes and gardens and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, do we know why that is, though? Like, So we know that there's bioluminescent wildlife in the ocean and mm-hmm. these vents and such. Is it just that they have to collect it through these tubes? That's why it eventually gets depleted. So the explanation, right? They're they're like little organisms, right? They have to be replenished. It's like you know, it, it's it's kind of like tending a garden or like making sure that your your flock moves and and gets good air and circulation and stuff like that. I I can see that being the case. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think it, I think it works the way that we resolved it. Yeah, got it. And uh, my first tenet was speaking of melding hours together, Courtney, was there are massive ecosystems of bioluminescent algae that are akin to forests that look really weird and interesting. And then there are also, you know, massive, uh, what did I, what did I say exactly? It was, uh, geothermic. Thank you. Yes. Geothermal, like magma vents and, and stuff like that, that emit blue and purple light, uh, which are also remarkably dangerous because the heat and all that stuff. But yes, Mm -hmm. That all works. We've we've created a very powerful aesthetic based on everything. Very excited about that. Yeah, thinking back more to the whole like my water loses its glow over time. Like maybe it is like when you separate the the algae from its forest, it fairly quickly Ooh. dies out. Yeah. So you can't just like take a clipping and bring it back to your house and have a light. It's gonna like fade pretty fast if you do that. That's really interesting. And and I think kind of works with how that would work naturally anyway. Yeah, yeah. 
And and now instead of gathering firewood, you're like gathering the light itself, which is also pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I appreciate that. Uh, Daniel, what was your first tenet? And did we did we satisfy you, Daniel? So my first tenet was that the protagonists are confined or imprisoned in some way um, to a particular space. And I feel like we've satisfied that thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With with robot crabs and all sorts of like <laughs> vents and pressure of water and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a land of adventure for sure. Um, Courtney, wrap us around. What is your second tenet? This one we haven't touched on too much, but giant lily pads serve as rafts oh, and yeah. as foundations for buildings. Yes, we do need to talk about that for sure. What if um what if this whole like chunk of the city from above landed on some giant lily pad field that's like oh. kind of floating underwater? That see, there we go. That's interesting. And that's what that's what it's sitting on. Yeah. Which is also horrifying that if you like look over the edge, it's just this huge void below. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So that's that's what's protecting our civilization from falling further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. That's dope as fuck. And mm-hmm. and I would imagine that, right, like this this civilization, like, I, again, I'm thinking city sized, right? I'm thinking that a, a chunk of a continental shelf broke off and drifted down and landed on the lily pad. So when you look over, you're actually looking at continental shelf, but then you look, you know, a couple miles below that. And then you see the lily pad and you're like, oh, our entire civilization rests on one of these lily pads. Mm-hmm. Um, dear God, that's terrifying. Yep, <laughs> you know? <it> sure is. <laughs> uh, by the way, that's a great reconciliation there, Courtney. Mm-hmm. Really good idea. Um, I would also have to imagine, by the way, that th- th- there has to be some way that these cephalopods are thinking about like, okay, how do we make sure that we don't fall further? Because eventually those mm-hmm. lily pads are going to die and we need to make sure that it doesn't destroy our entire city slash civilization when it does. Right, right. I mean, the pads are alive, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, maybe part of it is continuing to grow them and keep them alive. So mm-hmm. it suspends the city. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that the mm-hmm. class that understands the technology to some degree may be working on a larger solution. But I imagine much of the work is, A, pumping the city with energy from the surrounding yes. bioluminescent life forms and keeping it structurally intact because of the lily pads, like growing them and maybe strengthening yeah. them. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that there's a like a whole core of engineers who are like trying desperately to make sure that they can at least lash the city to the side of the cliff or something like that. You know, like right. there, there's so much cool and interesting shit that mm. we can do with this because, oh, yeah, very exciting. So we're cool with the lily pads. We've made that make sense for us now. It's more satisfying, narratively speaking. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it, it works well. And for Great. like the raft solution, we could have smaller ones that they use as little vehicles or something. I mean, yeah, like just it traversing up and down the lily pads is an interesting like adventure and conceit yeah. in and of itself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, my second tenet was everyone's cephalopods. We've talked about that at length, I would say. I, I, I'm very satisfied with how my uh, squid boys and girls are looking out, or squid kids, if you will. If you're squid a, kids. Yeah, if you're a Splatoon fan, right? <laughs> So yeah, we can just keep it moving. Daniel, what was your second tenant? My second tenant is that most of the population are machines designed to protect and support um, their dying or otherwise few in number creators. I think that we've established, I mean, we, we have hermit crab bots, so I feel yeah. like that's well mm-hmm. established, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, and we also discovered that there are much larger ones that oh, are yeah. not friendly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've added so much just with that one little fun little conceit. So that's great. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess um, in your tenant, you had said creators, but we ended up kind of shifting that around. We did end up shifting that, right? Because now there's, Mm -hmm. now they're a little bit different, which I'm, I'm personally happy with. I don't know about Daniel, but you know, we're happy. Yeah. I mean, we don't know who the creators are. So yes, that's fun. And that's interesting. Yeah. Great. All right. So the recap is over. The only thing that we have to do now is roll for a twist. So let's grab the dice and see what happens. So our twist for this week is now add in some treachery. Hmm. Oh boy. Um, I don't know how we're going to reconcile that twist, but I'm excited to see how it turns out. Honestly. (laughs) Yeah, so we're we're wrapping up here. A big thank you to Gluax for this particular setting conceit. Really letting us off the leash with that one. Really appreciate it. Remember that if you want us to build your world like we did with the Gluaxes today, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com. Click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to come follow us on Twitter, we're over at Let's World Build, uh, if that's still your bag. If you want a little bit more engagement, of course, you can always go to our Discord where we're chatting about all sorts of cool stuff, world building. Tell me, come come to our Discord and tell me one cool cephalopod fact. It will probably be a little bit too late for uh, for us to implement it, but I will probably give you a shout out in a future episode if you give me a cool one. And of course, if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always go to our Patreon Click the link in the description of this very episode for that, where you can get access to all sorts of cool patron-only goodies, including patron-only episodes, early episodes, and double-length episodes for settings you submit. Of course, we want to thank our newest patron, longtime listener again, but new patron, Kaiser, for your new patronage. Kaiser, we thank you deeply for your support. And with all of that, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together until next week. 